Welcome to Data Ask Them Anything. And Zach and I are thrilled for this episode to welcome Andy Cockreave. Andy is the co-author of the Big Book of Dashboards, technical evangelist at Tableau. He hosts If Data Could Talk. He is the co-host of Chart Chat and a columnist for the Information Age. In 2021, he was named in the top 100 for most influential people in data by Data IQ. He's an amazing magician, board game enthusiast, and all around super awesome guy, and someone I'm happy to be called friend. Andy, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Mark. It's uh, really great to be a guest on the show. That's, it's quite a resume, that. That sounds, sounds like I've achieved quite a lot, but uh, so great to be here. Um, love the podcast as well. Re- really, really great to see you two. Uh, kick this off and get it going. So yeah, great to be here. So the format of this sub show is uh, it's a very brave format because normally folks, folks that come on data plus love are only subjected to me and my questions, uh, which is totally unscripted. But in this case, we crowdsource questions from across the web and ask people, if you could ask Andy Cockrieff anything, what would you ask? So it's a data, ask them anything instead of data, ask me anything like on Reddit We have about 10 or 11 askers today, and I'm going to kick off with our first question from someone named Kevin. And Kevin asks, assuming you were paid equivalently and could choose only one, would you be a data professional or a professional magician? Wow. Are they all going to be this challenging questions? I mean, you know, can you not ask me about something about the roadmap of Tableau or something? Right. Okay. (laughs) Data professional or professional data person? My gosh. I... If the if it was equivalent, I, th- I think I, oh I think I'd be a magician. Wow, I think I would. You know, there's there's nothing like the rush of work of bringing a crowd of people together and seeing the energy that you all create when something goes well. Right, that is amazing. So, huh? Okay, there you go. I just wrote my next career plan. If Andy quits in the next week, this is all on Kevin. Like you didn't see his reaction right now, but this was big. Like there was a revelation there. Well, I tell you, I mean, I still watch the video from TC when you did the, the, I see the deck of cards in the back and I'm like, oh man, I still get chills thinking about that. I would, yeah, if I had magician skills, I would go professional magician too. It's honest. I mean, it's, it's taught me so much. For those that don't know, I, I, I became a magician about eight years ago, a year after joining Tableau, um, largely because I was fascinated by the similarities in the cognitive science and the neuroscience of magic and data viz. Um, and it's taught me so much as a presenter and as a storyteller and as a magician. And it, yeah, it, it's just the whole improv and uh, side of things. Is, it's, it's an amazing thing to be able to give people a good time. It's interesting you say that because at first I wouldn't think there were similarities, but so much of both are controlling the eye and directing people to what you want them to see. So yeah. I can definitely see that. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much to it. And, you know, if you think if you ever watch Penn and Teller do a magic or many magicians do a trick, they are talking all the time. Right. You know, that's what magicians call patter. But that's a deliberate strategy as well to befuddle the audience. Right. You know, if you've been bombarded with information, they have no way of remembering actually what they saw so you know so when i give you too much information as a magician i'm confusing you so we've got to put in a date of this world we've got to try and strip that out well kevin has a second question for you that i think is potentially easier and it says don't you think kevin is cooler than ken 
Kevin and Kev, Kevin and Ken. Well, I've I've actually taken the strategy that I only refer to them on social media as the Fleurlidge twins because I have incorrectly referred to one or the other so many times that uh, yes. Um, so I'm going to sit on the fence. They are both awesome individuals, um, and I, I refer them to them as a collective now. I've actually started doing the same thing just because I don't know who writes what blog post anymore. Yeah. So <laughs> who knows. All right. So the next set of questions are probably, well, they're probably on par with that first one, maybe. Um, And if you defer on this first, I'll completely understand. Um, But a gentleman named Rodrigo is asking, pick one, Power BI, click or business object? Uh, Pick one for what? Exactly. I have no idea. Maybe one to, to develop visualizations in? Well, they're all great products. They all do certain things extremely well. but um, I'm I'm going to take the professional Fifth Amendment stance on that. <laughs> Good call. Good call. Um, and here's another uh, pick one of the three: um, Francois, Andrew Beers, or Fletcher. I don't know who who Fletcher. was the last one? Fletcher. I don't know who Fletcher is. Oh, I don't know who Fletcher is. Um, yeah. Is this like Snog, Marry, and Avoid? Good I God! Think so, um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh well francois for the wide eyes uh and excitement he would you know he'd be the person who's going to bring excitement to life and andrew for the calm considered uh laid back approach to the future uh it would depend on my mood yeah (laughs) all right yeah i'll have to figure out who fletcher is yeah, I, I well, my worst fear now is that it's an employee I should or a colleague I should know. In which case, I'm probably yeah, hurting right. someone's feelings. Well, don't don't feel bad because I'm not remembering them either. So, all right. Um, and then the last one, uh, pick ah, man. Okay, uh, what's your favorite bars, lines, or scatter plots? Uh, scatter plots, absolutely phenomenal visualization. Maybe a little bit harder for the layperson to pick up and understand. Not very complicated, but boy, you can see so many more patterns and exciting patterns in a scatterplot. <clears throat> and I've probably made more impact in my career with scatterplots than the others. The power really? of de-aggregating. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and the, I did the Gartner BI Bake Off, uh, Tableau, the ClickView, the Power BI, and the fourth one I've, I, a few years ago. And I had a scatter plot with a million dots on it, and it wasn't arbitrarily a million dots. You know, the insight that those million dots could reveal in a scatter plot was really good, and it was important to be able to show a million dots. So, yeah, scatter plot for the win. Well, I was just saying that's a. I was just sitting here thinking about it. that's a really good point. Like, if I think about like visualizations that immediately pop to mind that that were impactful, like I think about Hans Rosling's like. Mm-hmm. you know gap minder stuff and it's like yeah it, it definitely sticks in the the brain more than a, a bar or a line for sure well that, the 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 dashboard i was talking about we were looking we had opioid data i mean it was horrible uh data set about the tragedy of the opioid crisis in the u.s but we had a scatter plot with essentially all the doctors all our prescriptions and all the imp- all the cost they'd done and just when you interact when that when you um have interactive highlight filters when you're clicking on a map and, and seeing different categories of healthcare professionals, you know, the patterns that emerged in the scatterplot were really revealing, right? And, you know, you could literally see the doctors who had been eventually struck off because you're like, just like through that interaction. And so, yeah, 
disaggregated data, as Zach says, and Hans Rosling as well. I mean, you know, he proved that the scatter plot is a winner. So the next asker is someone familiar to you. You might know them from Iron Viz, but Christian asks three questions. The first of which, most memorable data visualization conversation you have had recently? Question mark. Last week, I did chart chat with Steve, Jeff, and Amanda, but we had a special guest, Tim Harford, who he's my hero. He presents more or less on Radio 4 and has written multiple brilliant books. Uh, there you go. Uh, and we talked about Florence Nightingale's Rose Diagram, right? Now, Florence Nightingale, 1858, did these Rose Diagrams, changed the world uh, in the way that um, soldiers are looked after uh, in, in the healthcare industry and changed, changed the world. Anybody who's been in this field for like three nanoseconds will probably have seen those charts. But it is amazing. You know, I've been looking at that chart on and off for 15 years at least, and it still reveals more. It still reveals um, nuances. There's context behind the visualization. There's so much to learn about Florence Nightingale and the time she was in. And it's just a great example of when you're building a chart, does it matter if it isn't accurate? You know what? Sometimes you can communicate the gist in a slightly weird way, and that can be more effective than doing the purest, boring bar chart that you would put on a dashboard. What I've loved about this career and what I love about those conversations is the tension about learning when to use one or another and learning that you shouldn't just use one type all the time. So, yeah, that was good last week. It's the tableau public dilemma because you see people mm. go for un unorthodox, often uh, bold chart types that might be less clear. But if it gets the additional eyes to your topic, was it worth it? And it's it's an ongoing debate that's been going on since people have been doing database. Yeah, and I think it's gotten, it's actually, it's, it's really interesting the way you frame that, Zach, because I think, you know, Stephen Few, when he was prolific and, and more active in the field, you know, he was like, he was very dogmatic. It's like data visualization is about purely operational, austere, dry as you can possibly have charts, right? And I was, I was a complete zealot for Stephen Few. You know, it took me a long time to realize, well, data visualization is also artwork. And I think, and, and, and oh, it's great being happy with that. And I think what Steve Wexler um, always points out, the, the, the biggest mistake somebody can make is to look at the arty side of things, the blingy side of Tableau Public or wherever they're going for their data art or highly designed things and think that's the, own, that's the thing you should do for business situations because very often it isn't. And Mark, here you are, a hero, real world fake data. You know, I think, I think you're, the project you're doing, if people don't know, real world fake data, Mark is saying, look, here's the data set. Let's make a boring business dashboard. And I, I use the word boring in a completely ironic way because they're amazing. It's amazing what people are doing, but it, it's, it's focusing on the fact that the data and analysts job also needs that dry, crisp stuff. And we need to celebrate that too. Well, thank you. So second question from Christian, what's your favorite Iron Viz memory? Um, is, it, is it okay if it's a purely selfish one? Of course. Totally. All right. So 2019, second time viz, we did it in Las Vegas. I was on stage. We didn't have, uh, I had no nobody in my ear, no producer in my ear. And we went to go, what's the final score? Um, and then all I could see was the one producer in front of me in the lights going, just waving at me going, we've got no score. We've got no score. I was like, uh, what? 
I, so at this point, all I knew is there was no final score and we hadn't rehearsed for this. I've got 5,000 people in front of me, thousands of people streaming online. What do I do? What do I do? I had to stall for 12 minutes. Right? It was 12 minutes before we got the final score and I had no idea what was going on. Now, why on earth would that be my favorite Ironvis moment? Because I saw uh, our producers waving at me going, you know, we haven't got a score carrying going. And what I felt in that moment in fact, I can feel it now, was it was like a culmination of 15 years as a public speaker. All the training, all the investment that Tableau's given us as speaker training, all the sessions I've done, all the magic I've done, where you like, you make it, you're improvising. And I knew if I, if I ne- named somebody, I knew the producers could put the camera on somebody. I knew I had talented people behind me. I had judges. I had a microphone in the uh, audience. I had Keisha as a co-host. I was like, all right, I'm just going to make this stuff up for 12 minutes. I'm going to try and make content up as we go. And honestly, guys, it just, it was, it was exhilarating because I guess, you know, you know, it's like literally the world, your worst nightmare standing on stage with nothing to do. But it was, it was my entire career came to that moment. And yeah, also being a domain expert, you know, I, I, you know, I, I could talk to, I knew we could talk about the visit. So it was just that adrenaline rush that I'm like, all right, we can keep going. Had it been going for 14 or 15 minutes, I might have started singing more Barry Manilow. So it probably came to an end at about the right time. But uh, yeah, that was that was pretty amazing. So you feel you're somewhat bulletproof now, like you and also to that matter, uh, Lindsay, to a degree, because, you know, she came out of a three person competition as the only person that didn't win. And you had to <laughs> improvise for 12 full minutes in front of, you know, basically most of your industry peers you could possibly have. So it's super high risk scenario with also super low reward. Like at the very least, you seem, you come off as competent. And at the very worst, it's just a massive debacle people will talk about for years. But I mean, it came Mm. off super well. And I mean, honestly, you've got to feel any other public speaking engagement after that. Yeah, you're kind of bulletproof. Uh, Yeah, honestly, yeah, you know, the reward. I, I, honestly, it was an absolute career highlight because it just it it, it just felt amazing and it, it worked right. And maybe I, <laughs> something that maybe had gone wrong, but uh, yeah, it was amazing. And I just remember seeing our Adriana, who was then our VP of Global Communications. You know, I remember at one point just seeing her sprinting off towards the backstage, and I'm like, oh well, <laughs> I can see something's clearly not working out right, but uh, I'll, I'll keep the show going. So yeah, it turned out the reward was pretty good from that. Yeah. And, and I personally remember this as I was standing on stage yeah, and, I'm, and I'm watching Andy do it. And I'm like, man, he's a pro. He's a pro. And then I hear him go, Mark, tell us this story. And I went, what? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was just like, I, I'm throwing the ball. And, 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 and it's, I tell you what, seriously, a, a public speaking technique um, I've always learned is if you go to go to somebody, you know, so if you've got, you're in a, if you're in a panel or if you're in an or in, or even in a meeting, Actually, even in a meeting, always say the name of the person you're going to go to at the start of the sentence. Because, and this is this is a great meeting tip as well. Because you know sometimes we don't pay attention in a meeting, and then you, you so you've all had this experience where you're not really blah, 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 you're not paying attention. What do you think, Andy? And you're like, oh, I wasn't listening, right? So always say the name of the person at the start of the sentence, <clears throat> and that gives that like, all right. I'm going to pay attention. So yeah, thank you, Mark, for being there and. Oh yeah, that get sound amazing. I'll say that was uh for me too. It was a uh, a highlight. So uh, that's that's a good memory. 
Wow. Um, that's a good tip. I'm definitely taking that. Uh, so our third Christian question, if you had to get a data viz tattooed on your body, what data viz would it be? And I'll give you bonus points if you say where. <laughs> uh, it wouldn't be a 3D exploded pie chart. Uh, it probably wouldn't be a sank. I mean, I'm sure there's a very witty answer to that. Um, chart tattooed on my body. You know, you know, having said a scatter plot, it, I would just put a bar chart somewhere on my body. Um, I have a thought. I have no tattoos. Right, I have no tattoos, but you know, in my life, I have had significant sort of hobbies. You know, I played ultimate frisbee, did that for a long time. Became a mountain bike racer, raced around the world. Uh, got into data visualization, played a lot of frisbee golf, did a lot of magic, and I was like, you know what? Uh, just one tattoo for each of those things would be pretty cool. And it probably would be a bar chart because that at least is recognizable. But what would the data be? Oh, could you imagine? What would the data be? Mm. I know exactly what this needs to be. You get a what? bar chart with normal distribution on your biceps. So when you're flexing. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, you've never seen me with my t- with a T-shirt or a muscle vest. My 13-year-old daughter has bigger muscles than me, Zach. So uh, that's that, that's not a good idea. Maybe for you. But, it's not uh, a good idea. No, no I, I've seen so many regrettable tattoos, which is why I'll never have one. Mm, yeah. Ah. Oh. Yeah. And so well, maybe we could crowdsource this. What people could tweet at us and see like what what tattoo should Andy get and where? Uh we're gonna crowdfund it to I, people at the next well, I'm just I, I don't want to say anything that um I might come to regret. I remember right before TC19, um, there was a group of us talking about getting the Tableau Sparkle tattooed, and it was like we were talking about it, and then shortly after that conversation became the, oh, we've just been acquired by Salesforce. I was like, <laughs> okay, we're going to hold off on that. <laughs> I, yeah, I think you've always been, there's the certain things, you, you know, I mean, obviously, Tableau changed my career, right, changed my life, right? You know, I've a customer at the start, you know, purchased Tableau in January 2008, and, you know, transformative and you know, I love it. I've I've loved the company. I've loved the brand. I've loved the product, and I've loved the field. Yeah, <laughs> permanently inking your body with that? Maybe not. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad I hit the pause button on that one. Yeah. All right. Next question. Just a single question from this asker, a gentleman named Steve asks, Andy, how often do you feel bad about your co-authors Jeff and Steve shouldering most of the burden of writing Big Book of Dashboards? <laughs> uh i felt bad actually in the last six weeks before it got published right so it turns out actually i already knew this i'm not a complete finisher right you know um mark your your job at tableau you're in the sort of the pre-sales organization and that's where i started in tableau and what an amazing role because your job is essentially to go into a customer make something that looks amazing sell them Tableau, and then move on to the next project. It's great. Right. It doesn't have to be finished. It doesn't have to be edited. Ah, oh, great. I love that role. It's amazing. It's just like you, you come in, you're like, look at this, great, and then you move on. Turned out I was a bit like that right in the book. So, you know, first eight months, I'm like, well, hey, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And then it came down to we've got to rework all the images. We've got to make sure every spelling check is done. We've, who's going to do the index? And, and unfortunately, in that last four week period, I was just like, "Guys, I'm I'm done. I can't I can't even bring myself to look at open the document again." So, um, 
Yeah, I did feel, feel bad because the book is, that last 10% of the book uh, is down to Steve and Jeff. Um, and if it hadn't been for them, you would have got a slightly shoddier Andy Cockreave version of the Big Book of Dashboards. So, uh, yeah, that, I, I owe them a big debt of gratitude for that. Well, to be fair, he's, he sent that in as a complete goof just to make us laugh as we're looking through the yeah. questions. But, but, <laughs> well, then, then you got a, bit, a, a much big, bigger confessional than maybe you I expected. Did. Yeah. <laughs> That's way more sincerity than that deserved, frankly. So, you know, <laughs> Steve's listening in. That's um, I think that's that's more... <laughs> more than we all expected mark you want to do the next ones too since you you uh, got steve's gag question well i've actually i've got a, a question of my own just out of curiosity based on that question do you are you working on any other book currently or no uh no not yet i've got two or three ideas in my head and uh they have not yet come to fruition the other thing i've realized uh i thrive with collaborators uh so i think I mean, it was an amazing experience writing a book. You know, if anybody thinks they want to write a book, I, I highly recommend going down the route and trying it because it's, it's an amazing experience. You, you get to force out your thought process and, you know, whether that book then goes on to success, succeed or not, at least you know whether you enjoyed writing a book. Um, what was amazing about doing this with two other people is you embark on a project and you think, what if I hate these two, right? What if, what if we get halfway through this process and it turns out we're each trying to do something different? Um, and throughout the process, we had, oh, we had some really passionate arguments, passionate debates and disagreements and conversations. But those meetings were amazing because every at no point did any of us diverge in what our mission or vision for the book was. And uh, it was just, it was brilliant. You know, we 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 sparred and battled, but at the end of every one, it was like, oh, that was good. I enjoyed my Friday argument with Steve and Jeff. Uh, you know, it made the book better. It made us better. And that's why we do charts chat is we wanted to bring those debates to life because they didn't really appear in the book. They appeared in the book a little bit, but um, yeah, actually that, that wasn't even the answer. The question was, is, uh, that wasn't even the question you asked me, was it? <laughs> is there another book? Oh yeah. I need collaborators. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm looking for uh, yeah. I, if I can find the right person who wants to do this, uh, the topics with me, it might happen. Okay. All right. Um, next question is coming from Judith. Uh, she wants to know what your favorite film or book about magic is. <laughs> uh, well, the book that got me started in magic uh, was a book called Slights of Mind. Um, the names of the authors I forget, um, but that's about the neuroscience of magic. That came out about 10 years ago. And in there they're going, this is how magic works in the brain and Stephen few recommended I read read that book and it, it just caught me at the right time because I was just like it's amazing it's just like data visualization it's incredible so that literally started me off uh, there was also another book called fooling Houdini uh right at the same time which was uh, slightly similar the best film about magic wow is it the prestige it's not now you see it I think it's it's certainly not now you see it I'm pretty the prestige is pretty awesome so i'm gonna go with that yeah in fact that's been on my kind of i need to watch that again uh quite a lot the prestige is the one have you, have you two seen it i yes. haven't seen it now i'm you a big nolan it. fan so yes it's, it, it's got the guy it's got the the guy who dresses up or he's a chinese or an oriental guy and he he makes a goldfish ball appear on stage is that right do you remember that yes song? i think that's one yeah. of the opening sequences yeah and 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 it just epitomizes what's great about magic is that 
you know, it turns out he devotes his entire life to being a stooped human being in order to be able to pull off this effect on stage. And that's what's so good about magic. Some, some effects, you, you know, it's like, well, you went to that length to do something that is amazing, but actually kind of trivial just for a moment. It's like, yeah, we did. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, prestige. I'll have to check that out. Um, so do you have a favorite magician? Yeah, Leonard Green. Uh, he's he's getting old now, but he has he's a Swedish or Austrian guy who has a remarkable command of the English language. But you watch him, and his style is just this shambolic mess, right? It just he, he barely seems to know what he's doing, and yet you know, so he's dropping. You know, he's his shuffles look messy. He's dropping cards, and yet he is in control of everything absolutely everything and it's it's he's funny it's it, and he's spontaneous so there's a ted talk by leonard green it's really early ted talk 30 minutes of the funniest magic you will ever see so i guess can we do links in show notes absolutely yeah 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 um if i can be one percent as good as leonard green i'll be successful I would say, considering people kind of line up and seek you out at in-person events to have you do some magic after hours, I, I'd, I'd say you've at least got 1%. I've never yeah, seen exactly. the guy, but, you know, I'll give you the yeah. 1%. Thank you. So um, what did you want to be as a child? What did I want to be as a child? Uh, the earliest memory I have, I wanted to be an estate agent when I was about four because I thought they just got all the money from the house sales. But... <laughs> uh, uh, but I, I actually, actually, let all right. Let's. I'll tell you what I wanted to be from when I was eighteen, and how it enabled me to have that job I have today. Right. So I'm I'm evangelist at Tableau. My job is to be an authentic, passionate leader in the industry. Essentially, be very excited about the mission to help people see and understand data. Right. That, that's my that's my job. When I was eighteen, I left school with a place on an art foundation course. I wanted to go and draw comics. I actually bailed out with two weeks to go and decided to go and do geography and look at glaciers instead. My first job was as a software engineer doing primary school application spreadsheets for primary school kids. Uh, <clears throat> side note, in that job we made a in that spreadsheet, we really encouraged kids to do 3D charts. So I dread to think what how many kids in the UK I actually pushed down a path of 3D charts. So I'm sorry if you used our end on the magic, but that was my fault. Um, the right, anyway, so software engineer, then database administration. Then bummed around New Zealand for a year on a bike, did some journalism, uh, became a cycle guide, business research, then became a data analyst, then discovered Tableau. Right. If uh, anybody listening has not seen Andy Kirk's Seven Hats of Data Visualization, um, it's, it's about the seven different skills you need to be a great data analyst. Through accident, I did all those things. Um, you know, so I was creative, storyteller, technologist, project manager user experience. Um, so there you go. That's a long answer. What did I want to be, be as an 18-year-old, an artist? And who knew that all the jobs I took in my career actually perfectly put me in uh, the role to be a data analyst and then to have the skill to be an evangelist? So great question. I like it. Yeah. All right. Zach, go for it. Uh, sure. Uh, Jenny asks, what are three quirky or little-known facts about you? Little-known facts? Well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guess if anybody did, right. So you all know, I know I'm a magician. Um, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll probably see I'm a real board game nerd. Uh, I, so that, I don't think that's very unknown. 
but man, I love board games. I've been playing board games since I was a teenager, and uh, that's become a thing. Quirky little-known facts. Um, Favourite band was a band called Ween, who were, uh, yeah, I'm seeing nods from these two. Uh, man, I saw those guys in Glasgow, London, San Francisco. Absolutely blew my socks off every time I saw them live. So there you go, the board games, Ween. Uh, I've been playing the piano in lockdown. I've been trying to learn how to play the piano. That's been uh, pretty good. Turns out it's really hard. <laughs> but uh, there you go. I've been attempting for the first time in my life to learn a musical instrument. Excellent. Mark, go ahead, sir. All right. Um, well, this this may be an easy answer um, from Caesar asking one CD tape or album you can't live without. One. Just now, one. So here's the thing. If anybody ever asks you who is your top three bands or top three movies, do you find that that, that top three contains about 20 items, right? Um, so I can look at the data. My three most scrubbled artists in the last 15 or the, no, uh, 10 years of digital music listening is Pink Floyd, Queen, and Ween, um, followed by an obscure British band called um, Gabby Young and the Animals. But Queen have been a part of my life since I was about 11. Pink Floyd have been a part of my life since I was about 15, 16. And Ween since uh, to ninety three, uh, so okay. But you've said just one, just one. Crikey, I can't, might have to be the wall. Yeah, you know, because the wall's got it's got that brilliant. It's got comfortably numb. It's got the story, crazy effects. Yeah, the wall. I'm going. God, that's oh, that's terrible. Only what? Yeah, the wall. It's all so long. That's a solid call. That's a- mm. To all the kids listening, Pink Floyd were a band in prehistory uh, who were very, very popular. Oh, Ask your grandparents. Man. All right. Yeah. Uh, I, I, tell, I uh, Let me tell you a story about getting old. Um, I used to do, in, in talking to people about data visualization, I'd, I'd go, uh, okay, let's bring it all together and we're going to look at IMDb ratings of Star Trek The Next Generation. And, you know, I had all the episode ratings. And then I was doing a customer presentation about three years ago. And I started doing this. I looked out, I stopped, I paused and I looked out in front of me. I was like, literally nobody in front of me was even born when this series was on. So then I, so, so what I then did was I got the, the equivalent for the Game of Thrones. Um, and now, now on the, when I get to that slide, I say, all right, we can do this in either Star Trek or Game of Thrones. You lot vote. Uh, Star Trek has never been seen since. It's all Game of Thrones. <laughs> Ask your grandchildren about Star Trek as well. Oh, oh your grandparents. Sorry. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, let's go to Jackie um, because this is an interesting question. I'm I'm curious to your answer. What is your favorite or least favorite recent database trend? Um, is is bar chart races recent? Because uh, that's I the would, one that. Yeah. Yeah, I'd give you that one. Yeah, uh, well, bar chart races were maybe two years ago, but they're a fascinating trend because why spend three minutes watching a video of something that I can understand in a line chart and in a matter of milliseconds? So I've made great hay out of saying bar chart races are a fad. Of course, whenever I've produced a bar chart race and posted it on my board game data blogs, it's generated about a thousand times more engagement than any other post I've ever done. So it's a doubly frustrating trend because 
you know, they're imperfect. And yet, oh, they're so compelling. Animation, man. Um, I tell you, I've been, uh, so more recently, you, you know, there's a lot of people who listen to this who uh, do Ironviz um, and are very interested in Ironviz. So I've been judging the feeder competitions for Ironviz for the last five years and obviously host the finals. Um, I personally struggle with long form visualizations in Ironviz. You know what? I mean, I, I, to an extent, we can acknowledge that Tableau creates the need for long form visualizations, by the way, we set up the judging. But I think there's ways to tell a really complex, deep story without resorting to a 5,000 pixel tall dashboard, but it's harder. So there you go. That might be quite a controversial one because I don't think we, we've not, I think we, we as Tableau need to have that conversation ourselves because do we swing the judging criteria to discourage a bit more? And if we do, what do we, how do we, what do we want to encourage? But yeah, long form dashboards with gray text on a gray background, six point font. <laughs> make it readable kids and make the contrast, make the text high contrast. And you're not all kids. I'm not trying to patronize you. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Another question from Jackie. Um, there have been some conversations going on saying dashboards are a thing of the past and they don't get used. So I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on the future of dashboards. Oh, Steve, Jeff and I have been talking about that quite a lot. And I've seen a lot of conversations online about it. Ravi Mystery, John Schwabish have been um, well, they're just two that come to mind straight away. My, my answer to that is, you know, do you have a question in your organization that you know you need to monitor every day? And if the answer is no, then I'm, I'd love to see your business model. So I'm going to assume the answer is always going to be yes uh, to that. And then, and then I'm like, uh, you know, it, it's on record. I really don't care about the definition of a dashboard, right? It, a dashboard is a piece of wood that used to be on a stagecoach, stagecoach that was designed to stop water dashing onto the foot of the driver. It was a board that stopped dashing. That's what a dashboard was. Anything else is just arbitrary definitions we put into the business intelligence industry. The, if you're going to monitor something about your organization, whatever that looks like, you might call it a dashboard. My own personal sort of daily data monitoring now, I actually use Tableau Mobile and Metrics for almost all the stuff I need to monitor. I hardly ever go to a dashboard on you know, one of our Tableau server instance. I mean, you know, you know my, my job is slightly weird and what I'm monitoring is slightly different. But is what I'm looking at a dashboard? I, I, I don't know, maybe. I guess I could call it a dashboard. But it's a way of monitoring information that I know I need to ask and answer every day or two or three days. So monitoring information is going to be vital for businesses forever. But, oh boy, if you can't also ask and analyze questions in an ad hoc manner or go beyond the dashboard and be like, well, that dashboard made me ask two questions. If you can't answer those two questions, then your data strategy isn't working. So yes, dashboards are going to exist for a long time. I think it's, yeah, they might not look like a single screen printable layout, but they're going to be monitoring data applications, but success in data is also having the other, the ad hoc side of things. It's a great question. I love it. It's one of those tensions. You know, it's like, oh, the dashboard is dead. Sounds great in a marketing ploy, right? I've used it myself, uh, but it's not really. I, I tell you, so like whenever I think about it, 
I, I come in the earlier or more recent centuries and I think about the car dashboard, right? So like, you know, when it was manual transmission, you know, there was certain KPIs you had to look at, you know, your tachometer, your speedometer, things like that, fuel. Um, and that dashboard, while it's gone digital, you know, it is still with us. And I got a chance to drive a Tesla not too long ago that had autonomous, you know, navigation. Um, even what I'm not driving and it's using all of its cameras to kind of do, you know, the navigation and the speed and all that stuff. I'm still monitoring what's going on. And I think until <laughs> you see a point where you've reached that level of autonomy where you can 100% trust it and it's going to run your business, I absolutely agree. You're always going to have to monitor something. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. It feels like one of those things that it's kind of, um, it's a hot button topic and it's a great side to take right now because it feels like you're being futurist. Like no one's going to remember 20 years from now that you said dashboards are going to be a thing of the past. But right now, I mean, even I'm not, I'm not assigning like motives to people like that. They're disingenuous, but it's one of those things where by sort of being, you know, perceptually a step ahead and saying that this is where things going, you know, it's a, it's a great position to be in when the rest of us are like, yeah, but are you ever really going to need to not see things? You're going to need to know stuff. And I don't know. Also, I'm, I'm never quite sure what the alternative is when people say dashboards are going away, because in order to do that, you have to define what a dashboard is, which big book of dashboards steps through quite a few iterations to land on its uh, version, which yeah. I imagine was one of the early debate topics uh, the three of you dealt with. But um, when you tell me this isn't going to be a thing, what is the thing instead? Uh, that's always the portion that's sort of missing to those kind of debates to me. Yeah, I, I, two things to that. I think what we've got a challenge is people want AI and machine learning to to provide a literal a Google search interface on data. So, well, I could for from a futurist perspective, it's like, yeah, that's going to be the future. But the customers we see, most of them haven't even got their spreadsheets in order. So to to get AI and machine learning on their data sets, it's like, well, it's still in a spreadsheet, you know. So we're still we're still trying to solve that. Um, and just on the definition of dashboards in the big book of dashboards. So we ended up with a 15 word definition. Uh, we started off with a really small definition of what a dashboard is. And over the sort of year we were writing the book, it, it got longer and longer as we were adding caveats. It's like, well, what if it's one screen? What if it's two screens? What if it's for monitoring? What, it's for, what, if, it's, what if it's for decision-making? And with about a week or 10 days to go before the first draft was due, was due we just culled all the words and went, 15 words a dashboard is a way of monitoring something you need to monitor i can't remember the exact definition but it was just it's too it's too hard trying to define what one is just are you letting people see what they need to see that's uh very similar to i had a systems analysis and design professor in college and grad school i had him for both and um one of the very first things he insists on at the beginning of class is defining what a system means and the definition of a system is a system is what you define it to be because alternatively, the scope is limitless, right? It can be anything. So much like a dashboard, the dashboard is what it is to a degree, right? So there may be things that, you know, futurists are calling non-dashboards that the rest of us would argue are actually dashboards. But it's a, it's an interesting debate to have. And I know we can spiral endlessly on this as well. Yeah. And, you know, I I, I kind of got known with about the phrase, it depends. You, you know, it's, what, what's the right way to build a data culture? What's the right chart for this? It's like, well, it depends. You know, and that, and that genuinely, genuinely was an epiphany moment. It's like, well, I now know enough to know I can't answer any question at all because I don't know what your needs are. And it depends, you know, there are more than one answers. And 
I mean, you know, the more we go through life and life's all a bit chaotic and society's a bit chaotic. I wish we could have a bit more. It depends in our lives as well, because then we maybe could meet in the middle uh, rather than being so divided. So, yeah. Oh, there you go. Got a bit heavy, but it depends. It's okay. We have one more question for you. That's super easy. Uh, from someone named Chris from your side of the pond. If you could pick anyone in the world, past or present, to interview for if data could talk, who would it be and why? Uh, you know what? It would be, uh, it would probably be Joseph Priestley. I think, uh, so, you know, if, if I think back to the pioneers of data visualization, the ones people know most about, Charles Minard, who did the first line charts, Florence Nightingale, who we talked about, John Snow, who did the cholera map. Uh, actually, and now if you, the work that RJ Andrews and uh, Jason Forrest are doing, they're unearthing so many more historical uh, people from this. But Joseph Priestley was uh, built, did the chart of biography and the chart of history in 1876. And these are essentially Gantt charts with thousands and thousands of people, you know, famous people on it. But he was an amazing guy. He discovered oxygen. He helped pioneer the understanding of electricity. He became a religious zealot and started riots in the UK. He got exiled and became friends of Benjamin Franklin, I believe. He moved to the US. So he was this amazing polymath uh, and created these gorgeous, gorgeous visualizations that were framed on schools around the country, around or around Europe. Um, and I was very lucky to go and see some, some originals in Princeton last uh, fall with RJ Andrews and Steve Wexler. And seeing these things in the flesh, you just think, my God, these guys were making a Gantt chart, or he was making Gantt charts with about 3,000 marks on it, axes, titles, legends, color. And he was doing it all with a piece, with a pen and paper or a pencil and paper, and then engraving it so it could be printed. Um, You know, so I I think the craft, the way people like him were intuiting how data visualization should work. And then, you know, when you read his pamphlets about, the process of that is like, you know, as I was building this chart, new views were continually opening up as I did the work. And it's like, that's what we just talked about the other aspects of dashboards. You play with your data to find the insights. And he was doing this in 1765. Blows me away. So uh, yeah, we'll go with Joseph. But can I have, uh, can I have a dinner party with Joseph, Florence Nightingale, uh, Brinton uh, and Hans Rosling? Mm. Am I allowed that dinner party? Sure. That would be yeah. good, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. All right. What do I what do I have to do to get on that guest list? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, make a chart that blows me. No, away. I, oh, you I just want to loads. Yeah. I just, I, I just I, want to attend. I don't yeah, 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 I don't, yeah, yeah. Just come and join. You're on. You're in. You're in the list. Yeah. Love it. Oh, sir. You did it. You're doing an amazing podcast and running an incredible program. There you go. That's uh <laughs> That's, That's more than enough. Theory. Yeah. All right. Well, Andy, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a lot of fun for uh, for me. I don't uh, I don't talk to you quite as much as Mark does. And uh, to no, end, no, I, I feel uh, like Mark yeah. should do this. Yeah. Well, I'll just say uh, thank you to you guys. You know, all the community who are making podcasts, making blog posts, videos. We love seeing that at Tableau. Uh, and you know, I personally still love seeing it. I've been in this game a long time. I don't make as much Tableau content anymore, but it's it's amazing seeing what you guys do. Uh, so yeah, keep up the great work. And thanks for those questions. They were they were a lot of fun. 
Well, thank you for all of our submitters. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a year from now, we'll have to do a part two. There, there, are, there are some questions we did not get to, but that's okay. Got to leave them wanting more. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. See you in a year. You're going to wrap us up, Mark? Yeah, with that, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. And if you've got a idea for a guest for Data Ask Them Anything, please let Zach and I know. We're always looking for inspiration from the community. And with that, we will catch you next time. Data Ask Them Anything is a production of Data Plus Love. Our music is Bad Company by Blackroom, courtesy of Take Tones. Hey, you're still here? Um, you're probably waiting for like the next podcast uh, to kick in, probably something better. Um, thanks for hanging on. Anyway, if you're picking up what we're putting down, uh, consider buying us a cup of coffee on ko-fi.com slash d-a-t-a-p-l-u-s-l-o-v-e. Um, just, you know, drop $3 in our tip bucket. It helps us buy better equipment. It helps us uh, pay for razor blades to keep me from looking like a wolf man. And it keeps uh, Mark's head looking so shiny and beautiful. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll never put anything behind a paywall. And thanks to your patronage. Have a great day. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end. I really appreciate you listening to the Data Plus Love podcast. If you'd like to see more about what we're up to with the show, go to anchor.fm slash data plus love. Just spell it out, not a literal plus sign. Here you'll be able to see our library of episodes as well as interact with them either through polls or comments or leave a voicemail message that I'll put on an episode. You can interact with me personally by joining me on Twitter. I'm at Zach Bowders, not hard to hunt down. And if you like what you're hearing, consider leaving a tip for us or signing up for a small monthly donation at our ko-fi.com slash data plus love. Buying a cup of coffee for the show is just $3, and you can get more if you choose, or sign up to give that $3 or more monthly. Either way, I really appreciate it. Lastly, if you'd like to see more of my public data viz work, check me out on Tableau Public. So go to public.tableau.com and search for Zach Bowders. I'm the only one you won't have trouble finding me. I promise. So thanks again for hanging on to the end of the show. I really appreciate all of your listens. And until next time, this has been Zach Bowders for the Data Plus Love Network.